Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, joined by my colleague, Jason Fordney, editor at uh, California Energy Markets. Jason, how are you doing today? Good, Dan. How's it going? I'm doing well, thanks. And uh, we're Jason and I are here today to do our weekly wrap-up of our latest stories from News Data and to help listeners be a little smarter, a little quicker about what's going on in the energy industry in, in the West, uh, in the Northwest and California and beyond. So yeah, Jason, things are good down there in California? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. We're uh, really hopeful for some snow. Our snowpack here is rapidly melting. It's creating a lot of concern. I, I live at about 5,000 feet and um, yeah, it's almost gone. So we need Oof. we need something here in the next five weeks or so. They call it the March miracle and we definitely need one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to think of some NCAA March madness, joke, but it's just not there quick enough. I'm, I'm a step slow today, apparently. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. Uh, I'll do better next week. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're actually, there's, you know, in a rare uh, twist, uh, Seattle might get a little snow on Monday, um, which is when this should be going on the web. It might be up before then. Uh, but okay. anyway, so we've got some uh, big developments this week in the, in the energy industry in the Northwest. The Northwest Power and Conservation Council is wading into, considering wading into one of the most contentious issues in the region, the uh, potential breaching of the lower snake river dams. These are four dams that are federally owned operated as part of the giant hydro hydropower system uh, on the, in the Columbia river basin. That's really the backbone of the region's uh, energy system, but there's a lot of debate over whether these uh, dams are actually worth the, the investment uh, that in the money they is spent on them and also uh, considering what they do to the salmon and steelhead populations that have been struggling for decades on the uh, in the Columbia River Basin. So there's been a growing chorus of voices calling for removing the dams uh, coming largely from environmental advocates and also fisher fishermen, fisherwomen, uh, fisher people, fisher people. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with Fisher Price people, but uh, I'm going to get like angry emails from the fishing community <laughs> now. So <laughs> this is, like I said, been a very contentious issue. Uh, Representative Mike Simpson from Idaho came out with a uh, plan to take the dams down, which as a Republican was very unexpected. Uh, this was a couple of years ago, met with a lot of controversy uh, and, but it, certainly fueled talk. And now the uh, Northwest Power and Conservation Council is considering doing an exhaustive, possibly as long two-year study of figuring out the energy impacts of removing the dams and how that would affect the region and what it would take to replace the generation from that dams, but also you know what they do for integrating renewables and balancing the system and all the ancillary services they provide. Uh, that's you know, the, the study won't look though at uh, things like its benefit to navigation and you know, economic benefit from that, irrigation, recreation, all these other things that are federally mandated as part of the uh, 
values of the federally recognized values of the hydro system. So it's a very, the council's being very clear that we're just looking at the energy thing. This is not, we're not going to weigh in on whether they should be removed or not. We're just trying to give an accurate picture of what would happen to the energy system if we took these dams out. So yeah. uh, they'll, they're considering it. They'll come back in March, make a decision. They've already received a flood of comments and calls. Um, lots of people weighing in real quickly saying, do it, don't do it, what have you. Either way, uh, they, they're very well aware, the council members, that, that they're by, if they undertake this, they are putting a target on their backs. Uh, there are few issues that rate uh, temperatures rise as quickly around this issue in the Northwest. So beyond mm-hmm. that, speaking of the council, they also approved their regional power plan uh, this past week, they're mandated to come out with a regional power plan every six years. Uh, they started after the whoops fiasco in the early eighties. Um, and this plan though, is unlike any other one that's come before it in that it's envisioning a future that is rapidly changing. And, uh, really the, the term they kept using and a very apt term is a new paradigm, uh, going from, you know, thermals and hydropower to, Lots of renewables, lots of renewables, uh, and and hydropower and demand response. You know, peak shaving, load shifting, flexibility. Hopefully, some more transmission. But I mean, they're WEC wide. They're uh, forecasting 401 gigawatt build out by 2040. Um, so I'll just let that sink in again. 401 gigawatts, 237 gigawatts. By 2030, that's eight years away. 237 gigawatts. Amazing. That's, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, it, like about five percent of that, even a little less, maybe, is um, natural gas. So there's some natural gas, but um, yeah, it's some really mind-boggling numbers. Uh, and then beyond that, speaking of the dams, we actually have a little bit of good news in the fish world, fish conservation world, uh, which matters, of course, for the power system because the Columbia River hydropower system is constrained by fish and wildlife mitigation measures. And so if this, you know, salmon and steelhead populations have been struggling for decades. And so the river systems operate, the hydropower systems operated to help try to get those populations healthier. So in the, in the good news though, uh, as reported by my colleague, Casey Mahaffey, fish biologists from uh, state and tribal agencies in Washington say that they're winning the battle to stop Northern pike from spreading downstream to where salmon and steelhead breed in the Columbia river. So the Northern pike are just voracious eaters and uh, they were illegally brought into the state. And if they spread below Grand Coulee Dam, they could just, decimate the uh, salmon and steelhead populations, which are listed as endangered species. Uh, and you know, if they get down there into the breeding grounds, they'll just gobble up all those juvenile uh, salmon and steelhead. And so uh, that's, you know, hey, if we can win that battle and keep those pike, northern pike, uh, away from there, that is good news for those uh, fish populations. And God knows they need a little good news. Let's see, in, uh, in the state house in Washington, uh, state Democrats want to pass a 16 billion transportation package that includes strong, clean energy and climate elements. Uh, it would stretch out to, to be, the spending would stretch out to 2038. 
Uh, the package would implement the Move Ahead Washington initiative to bolster clean transportation and make investments in transportation electrification and uh, transit electrification and so on. Uh, so they've struggled to get a uh, transportation package through. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and BPA had a better first quarter of their fiscal year than expected. And now they're uh, forecasting much higher year in net revenues for the agency. Uh, they've raised it from $178 million to $456 million. Now, uh, finances have been an issue for BPA in recent years. And they've really made a lot of progress in terms of getting their costs down and stabilizing their financial situation and managed to pay down some of their debt. And so that's more good news for them. Uh, so also in on some other good news, we've just got lots of good news that we're passing around. This is a right. great, great issue. I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is better than some others where you just feel like you're bringing rain clouds everywhere. Okay. Uh, Northwest utilities are some of the most affordable, reliable, and environmentally responsible. Uh, that's according to a new ranking from the Citizen Utility Board of Illinois. So the board ranked Washington, Idaho, and Oregon all in the top five of overall utility performance. Uh, Montana finished in 14th, which solid, solid performance. Nevada took the top spot overall. But, uh, Washington and Oregon finished first and second, respectively, in the environmental category. Idaho came in fifth. Montana came in 21st. Uh, they also all had good uh, strong showings in the affordability category. Uh, you know, thank you. Thanks to that cheap federal hydropower system. Uh, the utilities did not do as well on reliability ranking much further down on the overall, uh, or much, much further down, uh, than their other showings, but they did not finish as poorly as California did. Right, Jason. Yes. Uh, California did not fare well in the reliability category. I guess that's not a huge surprise. We have everything from wildfire-related outages to our infamous public safety power shutoffs. In fact, California finished 51st on average time to restore power per customer with major event days. Um, one thing I did notice here is the long, if you have a lot of longer outages, it obviously pulls the score down and we have a lot of long outages. For uh, average frequency of power outages with major event days, it ranked 23rd and 15th for uh, power outages. Uh, that would be restoring power during outages without major event days. Uh, California's over re overall reliability ranking using those metrics and others was 36th. So not outstanding. Um, California didn't do well on affordability either. Uh, ranking electricity costs uh, lowest to highest per kilowatt hour for all customers, it ranked 47th, came in 46th place in that same measure for residential customers. It's ranking for annual household electricity expenditures was 16th. We did do well in total household electricity costs as a percentage of income finishing eighth at 1.5%. And I'm not a, you know, statistics is not my specialty, but I assume with a little bit higher income in California, that's how that happened. 
the California's overall affordability ranking, which is an average of all those, was 22nd. Overall, uh, the overall finish on utility performance, which is a combined score for affordability, reliability, and environmental responsibility. Uh, in 20, and some of this data was from 2019, some from 2020. We finished 24th. Um, one thing to note on affordability is, as the study points out, it's more about bills than it is rates. And uh, California, with relatively low demand per per customer, uh, because of rooftop solar, um, you know, the the bills ranking is not not quite as dramatic as the rate. It's no secret we have high rates here in California. One <laughs> yeah. other, yeah, one other interesting takeaway is the the researchers said states that tended to do well in one category also did well in other categories which indicates that state policies and state um you know the situation in each state uh where state policies can really um affect things across the board and have an importance in utility performance yeah yeah, one thing I I didn't read the report, but uh, I was reading over my colleague Steve Ernst's uh, story on this, and he noted that uh, this, I guess uh, states that spent a lot of money on grid modernization, some of them actually also uh, did not all of them, but three states that spent gobs and gobs on grid modernization didn't do well in reliability, and the I guess the report authors said that uh, that might mean that. Introducing new technologies and AM advanced meters um, is all well and good, but doesn't necessarily do much unless there's a lot of careful oversight from regulators and consumer advocates. They say so. Yeah, interesting takeaway. That is, and um, another big one was that um, you know conventional wisdom that fossil fuels are contribute to lower energy costs was also not borne out. Yeah. States that rely on a lot of coal, like West Virginia and Indiana, were below average in affordability. Interesting. So, yeah, great report. You can read more about it in uh, this week's Clearing Up and California Energy Markets. We both did separate stories on that. Both can be found at newsdata.com. Yes. So what else is going down? Going on down in California? We had a pretty big proposal from Southern California Gas Company it's proposed an extensive network of green hydrogen-based energy in the Los Angeles basin, which uh, the company says could address several pressing energy issues and reduce greenhouse gases. It's a multi-million dollar project proposed to the California Public Utilities Commission. It would be, it's called the Angeles Link, would be the nation's largest green hydrogen network, according to the utility. Uh, SoCal Gas is requesting approval from regulators to track costs related to development of the Angeles Link, and it's proposing a multi-phase approach to this. The expectation is for Angeles Link to, quote, significantly decrease, unquote, demand for natural gas and diesel, as well as, well as other fossil fuels in the region. And the, this fuel shift would help the region and the state meet climate and clean air goals. Los Angeles, of course, has the 100% uh, clean energy plan in effect. Uh, which it has acknowledged will require refiring uh, natural gas plants in the basin with uh, 
renewable natural gas. And the basin itself is really isolated and it's tough to build new transmission lines into Los Angeles. So that's um, one um, reason why they're embarking on a lot of in basin changes to generation. Mm. Yep. Um, also this week, uh, the California Energy Commission approved more than $10 million in grants for projects that will advance electric vehicle charging technology and build cleaner alternatives to diesel-fired diesel fired mobile generators. California has nearly 80,000 EV chargers and plans to have 500,000 by 2025, but uh, ensuring that EV charging does not stress the grid during peak demand times and making it easy for drivers to understand charging has, has been a challenge. Uh, EV charging stations can require a subscription or membership, which can make charging more complicated than filling up at a gas station. Um, also, EV charging is expected to continue to push up the state's peak demand in the evenings when people plug in after work, which is unfortunately the most stressed time on the grid because, of course, solar has gone away. Um, Separately, the CEC at its voting meeting approved a $2 million grant to ChargePoint to build a charger for medium and heavy duty vehicles that decreases the chances the charger will be run over by a vehicle. The charger is called a pantograph, does not require a cable and connector, instead hangs over the top of large vehicles like a banana tree branch, supplies power through a vehicle's roof rather than through a cord that lies on the street. And this is all reporting from our fine staff writer. David Krauss, also approved by the CEC, was about 1.2 million to Utah Energy, that's Y-U-T-A, to build a solar power and energy storage system on a roof at an affordable housing complex in Santa Ana. Also in CEM this week, in Southwest News, Public Service Company of New Mexico has proposed extending operations of a single unit at the coal-fired San Juan generating station by three months to ensure reliability. This is because replacement solar and battery energy storage resources for the 847 megawatt plant were delayed due to global supply chain issues. The proposal follows months of negotiations with the other five owners of the plant, including the city of Farmington and the, and the county of Los Alamos, which also plan to use uh, power from San Juan in their resource mix this summer. PNM in a February 17th filing to the New Mexico Public Regulation Commission said regulators must issue a decision on the proposal by March 25th in order for the utility to secure fuel for the continued operation of San Juan Unit 4. Uh, this has been a big issue in New Mexico. Um, it was interesting, uh, the, uh, the Public Regulation Commission actually mentioned CEM in their meeting this week. Uh, we covered PM's earnings calls where they said that they've got this uh, this shortage covered, but um, they were at a negative 3.4% reserve margin. I think now uh, they're now at a 9.8% reserve margin with the retention of this coal unit. But uh, yeah, not the best situation. They're having to keep coal online and showing the interrelated uh, relationship between supply chain and really emissions because uh, a lot of renewable projects being slowed down from the supply chain crisis. 
Uh, you can read about all this in our issue of California Energy Markets coming out today and also on our website at newsdata.com. That's right. Uh, and you can find us online uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can clearing up on Twitter at CU News Data and CEM is on Twitter at CEM News Data. I'm Dan Catchpole. I'm on Twitter too at D Catchpole. And Jason, you're on Twitter as well at Fordney Energy. So That's correct. Check mm-hmm. us out. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Jason, why don't you sign us off? All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed catching up on the latest Northwest and California energy news. Please come back next week and uh, for the next episode. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. <laughs>